the minor prophets. And um, with the minor prophets, they begin with Hosea, right? So let's say the books of the Bible from Hosea on. Can we do it? Hosea, same with me. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Are you getting them? Are you starting to feel the flow of them? Do we need to do it again today so you make sure you get them? How about the kids? Can you guys, can, can your kids do it this time? Can you do it loud? Preston, I want to hear you. Say it loud. All right, I'll get you started. Hosea, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. Good job, Joe. Good job, Preston. Good job, kids. That's awesome. So there's a village in uh, somewhere down in, in Africa. It's a very um, strange village. Oh, by the way, I want to apologize for the shirt. It's really bright. And I, every time I look down, it's like surprising. Um, apologize for that. But anyway, so this, this village is built. Um, it's put together. You know, there are little huts and everything. And the, the authorities come in and they bring their maps to the, to the, uh, to the chiefs of the village and they sit down with them and show them the maps. And they say, you guys have got to move your village because we have found a fault line immediately underneath your village. And if your village remains here in this location, inevitably, in the next couple of years, most, most likely even less than that, you will have an earthquake of catastrophic, and catastrophic damage will happen and most of you will lose your lives. You need to move your village. I understand that it's a big deal, but there will be, it will save, your, save a lot of lives and you need to move your village. Well, rather than moving their village, the chiefs, the leaders of the, the, the village decided, you know what, we're just, we're just going to do something a little different. So what they did is they took the maps that the archaeologists and the, the geologists gave them, and they, they took the maps and they modified the maps. So they changed where the fault line went through, and so it didn't go through their village anymore. And they thought, well, that'll be, that'll be good. We'll just change the map, and, and that will, we'll be fine. Unfortunately, as you would imagine, within a matter of years, there was a massive earthquake, catastrophic earthquake, that completely destroyed the village. Did it do them any good to change the map? No, it didn't. This morning, uh, the subtitle that, that I want to title this message is When Preachers Lie. The leaders of that village lied to the people and said, you know what, this is really not the, what the authorities said. This is the way it really is. Micah was a prophet at a time when everything in the divided kingdom was going quite well. There was a, there was a time of prosperity. There was little to no threat um, of, of being taken over by any other nation. But we've heard from the other minor prophets that there was a lot of social injustices. There was a lot of idolatry and immorality. Micah had it rough because everyone thought things were going to be fine. Oftentimes when we see what we see as sudden destruction is oftentimes efforts of long-term rot. I have a picture I want to show you. Not long ago, um, Don Pauly was called pr 
probably early. What was it? Early in the morning? When when did you get the call? Yeah, about seven o'clock. Okay, so it was early in the morning. Um, he was called out to this house. Um, Don works on trees. Is that you, by the way? Yeah. Right there at the bottom of the crane. Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Um, there's this tree had fallen on this house, and Don was he tells tells stories of how he was standing up in the bathroom. He was standing on the toilet and on the vanity, sawing through this tree because this tree had fallen into this these people's house. To the folks that were living in the house, it was probably very scary and very sudden and very abrupt. Literally, there was pieces of, um, the baby was asleep in her room. The parents were asleep in their room. And they have, there's other pictures. You can look online and find other pictures of, of what took place. The baby's changing table in the crib, the branches and the insulation and the stuff that landed on them. Literally, they, they had all kinds of stuff land on them, but nobody was killed. Fortunately, nobody was killed. The baby survived. Um, the dad describes going in and shaking the baby. Do something to that baby to make it cry. Because he thought it was dead. The baby was just asleep. Just completely out cold asleep. And so everybody survived. But anyway, it's interesting to me. How, th- many of us would think that this tree fell suddenly. Wouldn't you say this tree just kind of all of a sudden is just boom. It fell into this house. But if you look real close. In the middle part of this tree, there's this kind of black hole. You can even see it from this picture. It looks kind of rotted out, kind of messed up, right? It was long-term rot that probably brought this tree down. Would you agree, Don, or is that, is that not the case? Was that sort of the case? It was sort of rotted out on the inside? Okay. I was guessing on that part. Um, but long-term rot oftentimes brings sudden destruction. And um, this is what kind of Micah was dealing with. So I want you to get your Bibles out. And um, I want you to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. There's famous verses in Micah, and so I want you to highlight some of them. I want you to write them down, or if you don't don't have your Bible with you, write them down. If you've got a highlighter, highlight these passages of Scripture, okay? Um, First couple, I think, yeah, you put, they're all up there on the screen if you want to just start writing. Um, Micah chapter 3 and verse 4. I would like somebody to read this passage to us out loud in the room. Can you do that for me? Micah chapter 3 and verse 4. I want all of these read, so if you want to go to the next one, go for it. Micah chapter 3 and verse 4. Who's got it? Then you beg the Lord for help in time of trouble. Do you really expect him to listen after all the evil you have done? He won't even look at you. <laughs> that's the NLT, obviously. But this passage of Scripture is uh, a very powerful one. It's, it's one that's uh, amazing, and, and I highly recommend uh, highlighting it. Micah chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. Who's got that one? Seven shepherds, even eight commanders. 
So what are we hearing about here? What's, what do we get out of Bethlehem that becomes a, a, a peace, a peace that goes through all the nations? What do we get out of Bethlehem? Who was born in Bethlehem? Okay, so here's a prophecy we see in Micah that translates later on and, and is prophesied and, and later on that comes through. So that's one of those prophecies in Micah that you might want to highlight. Micah chapter 6. Uh, who wants this one? 6 through 8. Who's got it? Somebody else. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow, bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in the thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious act, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We sing a song, Micah 6, 8. And uh, I, don't, I can't sing it for you, but... We sing it at camp quite often. Maybe we'll make we sing it next week. Um, Micah, Micah verse six or chapter six verse eight uh, is one of those that is is one to be highlighted. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. Um, this passage of scripture. The other one I want to point out is Micah chapter seven, uh, verse eighteen and nineteen. Somebody want to read that one? Who Micah is seven. A God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Mm-hmm. Powerful passage of scripture. We're going to focus on those last two, actually those last three, in uh, the, the second part of Micah, which will be, I don't know, someday, in, in the near future. So, so those are the famous passages. Those are the ones I want you to highlight in, in Micah. Does anybody have any other verses in Micah that are highlighted that you want to, that you want to mention? Does anybody have any others? All right, so I almost forgot them all. Okay, well, let's move on. The, the, those are the famous passages, and uh, you know, that you know, kind of helps us with the overall idea of what uh, Micah is trying to bring. This particular idea that I want to uh, focus on today is this when preachers lie. Not only were the people going their own way, but the preachers, the prophets were as well. When I say prophet, when we talk about the minor prophets, what I, what, when I say prophet, I want you to think preacher. Because really, these guys were just trying to share God's word with the people of the time. Um, guys today, when they're going to get up and share God's word, it's, it's really, they're, they're just a preacher. And uh, they weren't so much the... the Minor prophets weren't so much about predicting the future, even though they did. Um, they were just about sharing God's word, uh, what God wanted them to say. <clears throat> so let's go to Micah. Can you find? Did you find Micah in your Bibles? Obviously, some of you are there because we just read some passages. Go with me here for just a second, back to Micah chapter one, and we're just going to kind of grab a little piece of this and and build on it. All right. So let's start reading in Micah chapter one, um, starting in verse one. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Samaria and Jerusalem were the capitals of the, of the territories or the uh, kingdoms 
the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And um, so this is what he's seen concerning uh, Samaria and Jerusalem. Here, you peoples, verse 2, all of you, listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, the water rush, like water rushing down the slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. Now let's jump to chapter 2, um, also verse 1. It says, Woe to those who plan iniquity. To those who plot evil on their beds, at morning light they carry it out because it is within their power to do it. Why do people sin? Because they can, right? It is in their power to do it. Verse 2, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, anytime you come across a therefore in the Bible, it refers to something that was just said. And now we're going to hear the result. The Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. Once again, we see the people, the sin of the people, the injustices, like we've seen from the other minor prophets, the social injustices, not taking care of those around us. In the midst of Micah's preaching of judgment, there was another group of preachers, however, who stood up. They said, Micah and the other biblical prophets are just a bunch of doomsday idiots. They don't have a clue. These other preachers focused on the promises of God. Verses they could quote, right? They had little plaques and people could hang them on their wall and posters and, you know, coffee cup sayings of the promises of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. These preachers said, Do not prophesy. They're talking to Micah. Their prophets say, do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace us. Disgrace will not overtake us, they're saying. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord come impatient? Does he do such things? So these other prophets are combating what, what Micah is trying to say. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. Interesting, right? Chapter 3, verse 5. Look, this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace. thought that was appropriate for today. Peace, dude. Or what's the hipsters? The, the peace out? I don't even... I don't know how to do it. They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, they, but prepare way to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Huh. Interesting. All these who speak for God were saying what they could to make a profit off of the people. They were saying what the people wanted to hear to earn their favor. People say, you come to teach us good things of God. You come to tell us what we want to hear. We will flock to you. We will put money in the plate. We will, we will take care of you. But if you say things we don't like, be aware. We're going to turn and we're going to wage war against you. Be honest with me for a minute. 
doesn't this sound exactly like today? American Christianity? As you read through the first three chapters of Micah, the sins of the people sound a lot like what's going on today. Especially when we focus on the preachers and what they were telling them. What's interesting is history repeats itself. Here we are, 2017. It's like, wow, this sounds just like today. But you know what? We probably could have read this same passage 100 years ago and found the same thing. And probably 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago, we probably could have read this verse and found the exact same thing. History repeats itself. We all have a human tendency to listen to what our itching ears want to hear. We start with what we believe, and then we look for preachers to affirm it. First main point this morning is the deja vu. The problem then is the same problem we have now. God's people had become spiritually dull. They had just become ho-hum about their relationship with God. The reason Micah had to come was to bring those those people, to bring judgment, to to preach judgment so that these people would, would wake up. They weren't seeing the disconnect between their claims to be God's people and the lives that they were living. There was a disconnect. They didn't get it. I'm going to call it the dimmer switch principle. When we respond to the light we have, we get more. When we ignore the light we, that we have, we get less. Understand that? Does that make sense? We have to understand this idea. When we begin to ignore what God's will is in our lives, he goes, he goes, he goes right over to the dimmer switch, and he, he turns it down. I'm so glad there's dimmer switches in this room. Right? As we start ignoring what God is telling us, what God wants of us, the stuff that we know, the stuff that we are confident that God has told us to do, when we ignore it, He turns down the dimmer switch. It's like it gets a little bit less light. And we, when we continue to ignore it, what does He do? He takes it even farther down, right? He takes it all the way down. Turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Mark Micah, because we're coming back. Mark Micah for just a second and go to to Romans. Romans chapter 1. Have you ever read this this passage in Romans? The last part of Romans chapter 1. It's an incredible passage of scripture of God turning down the dimmer switch. He takes takes what we ought to know and he applies it to us. He takes it right to where we live. Romans chapter 1, and verse, starting in verse 18. You can read this, entire, this in, in its entirety later. Uh, it starts in verse 18 and goes down through verse 32. It's literally, and you can see in every situation, God turning down the dimmer switch. Less and less and less light for these people. To complete destruction. Though they knew there was a God, they decided to ignore what they knew. And God gave what? He gave them less light. They began to create things with their own hands. They began to bow down to them and worship them. God gave them less light. Next comes the breakdown of the family and sexual perversions. Destruction. God dimmed the light. Because of their perversion, God allowed them to even go further into the darkness. Not understanding the simplest moral thread. 
then all sorts of wickedness and immorality takes over all the way to total destruction of a people who simply, get this, simply didn't care to know what they already knew. Let me say it again. They didn't care to know. They didn't really want to know what they already knew. That's the dimmer switch. If we're not listening to what we already know, if we're not doing what we already know to be right, God's just going to turn down the dimmer switch. Well, I just can't feel God in my life anymore. I just can't feel him talking. I just don't know how to, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do with my life. Well, let's take a look. Where in the last couple of months, where in the last couple of days, have you told God that you really don't care about what you know about him? Right? The key to hearing from God isn't asking over and over and over again. It's responding to what you already know right now. That's how to get God to talk. That's how to understand God's will. Okay, so the opposite is true. There's, there's a passage in Proverbs that I want us to go to next. I think I might have this run the screen. Proverbs 8 or Proverbs 4, rather. Yeah, Proverbs 4, verse 18. Look at this. This is the opposite of the dimmer switch. I should have left the dimmers all the way down. This is the opposite. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Right? Isn't that a picture of someone who begins to do what's right? It's like the sun coming up over the horizon. Right? You first start to get that little bit of glimpse of light. And the more righteous, the more you act like God wants you to, the more you walk right into that light. And it gets as light, as bright as day. But look at verse 19. It says, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not even know what makes them stumble. The wicked fall into a hole that's always been there because they can't see it. it happens on a constant, continual basis. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, The person without the Spirit does not attempt the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. We begin walking in the Spirit, begin doing the things that God wants us to do, and God's going to make it ever brighter. God's people became spiritually dull back then. They're becoming spiritually dull today because we don't, let God turn on the dimmer switch. We're ignoring what we already know to be right. Number two, everyone claimed God's promise but ignores, ignored his warnings. Back in Deuteronomy, um, the, pre- the preachers here in Micah were, were basically claiming the promises and not listening to the warnings. Right? That's why Micah had to come. That's why there was this, this dispute, this battle between the preachers and Micah. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, write this down because I want you to go look at it later. Deuteronomy 28, the very first part of Deuteronomy 28 is really, somebody just punched Deuteronomy 28. How many verses are in Deuteronomy 28? 68. 68. That's a lot of verses, right? And especially in Deuteronomy. But the first part of Deuteronomy is all about God's going to bless. God's going to bless. God's going to give you what you need. God's going to take care of you if you obey him. What if you don't obey him? The whole rest of the chapter tells what God's going to do. We, we have a tendency to, to claim all the stuff in the beginning of Deuteronomy 28, but we have a tendency to just ignore the stuff that's in the bottom of verse, or chapter 28. We do that throughout the Bible. We pick and choose. We cut and paste. 
doesn't work. We might lie, but God doesn't. God's not a liar. He doesn't make empty threats. Just like he's going to fulfill his promises, he's also going to fulfill his warning and his judgment. We often see coffee cup sayings, the little plaques, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. That's where we stop. Because what? The rest of the verse says what? For those who obey, right? There's obedience required there. There's things that we have to do to seek him in order for things to work out for the good. We looked at some of them in our discussion groups that are sometimes taken out of context and put on a coffee mug and put on a t-shirt. And we find another one that says there's no condemnation at the beginning of chapter 8 of Romans. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. But the reality is this, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him if we what? Obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that's a, that person is a liar. And he's not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. It's all about obedience. It's all about doing what we know is right. Knowing what we know now. We don't have to know more. Just do what's right with what you know now. I haven't seen that scripture on a coffee cup. How about this one? Matthew 7 verse 21. It says, Not, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Haven't seen that on any bumper stickers lately. We have a tendency to get that little SUV and get that little fish sign on there because, you know, that means we're going to heaven. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come, life's not going to be easy. The rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise. And the winds beat against the house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house in the sand. And when the rains come and the floods and the wind beats against the house... It will collapse with a mighty crash. For some reason, we're claiming the promises, but we're not heeding the warning. Micah ran into the same thing. The people were spiritually dull. They were claiming promises and not heeding the warning. It's deja vu. Number three, the preacher said what the people wanted to hear instead of what God wanted to say. I'm not trying to bash other churches. I'm not trying to bash the church here. I'm just trying to hold up a mirror. Of God's word so that we can see ourselves. I wouldn't want to look in a mirror right now because the shirt's way too bright. I'm really sorry. But I'm holding this mirror up so that we can look at it as a church and say, what does God expect of us? What do, what do, we, want to, what do we need to look like? I believe we have room for improvement here. We can dig more into God's word and under, try to understand what he's saying rather than just what we want to hear. Any preacher knows what brings happy cards and what brings not so happy cards. 
the preacher talks about God's love and grace and mercy, he will be applauded. And everybody will think greatly of him. But if he starts naming sins, especially my sins, starts talking about my money or even my kids, then we have a problem. We might find another church or we just might stay home. There are a lot of very popular preachers out there who have made it their profession to preach what the people want to hear. Made great names for themselves. Giant buildings, multi-million dollar budgets. They figured it out so well that some of them have their own TV shows. It's tempting. It's tempting to only say the easy things. But here's the deal. In each and every one of our hearts, I think we have a tendency to make up our own mind about how we feel about God. And then we try to surround ourselves or, or participate in a service that agrees with what we think. It's going to kill us spiritually. Micah chapter 2 and verse 11. Look at it again with me. Suppose a prophet full of lies would say to you, I'll preach to you joys of wine and alcohol. That's just the kind of prophet you would like. Huh. Interesting. Sounds quite familiar. It's kind of a deja vu. We can't cut and paste scripture. Salvation through Jesus Christ is still salvation through Jesus Christ. There's no relativity there when it comes to salvation. There's no situational disclaimers when we're talking about getting sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. We go down into that water and we get our sins washed away and we come up a new person. The Holy Spirit is, becomes, comes to live within and we become a new person. We put on Christ. There's no... No messing with that. This message from the book of Micah is to help us realize how similar we were to them. Well, that's just Old Testament minor prophet stuff. No, it's real. It's right here. It's right now. We're dealing with it right now. So how, how, what, how do we keep this from happening in our own lives? How do, how do we prevent it? Four easy things real quick. One, always check the message with all of Scripture. All of Scripture. Don't just claim one passage of Scripture and make that your mantra. Test it with all of Scripture. If someone came to you with a satanic Bible and tried to change your mind about your actions or your decisions, what would you say? No, that's a satanic Bible. I can't do that. I don't even know what they're called. Why? Well, because that's obvious. But if somebody comes to you with God's word and shares a, a, a passage with you and says, this is the way you should operate, what are you going to do? I think we have a tendency to say, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. It's right there in God's word. We need to test that passage. We need to test that theory. We need to test that idea with every other part of scripture. Acts 17 and verse 11 says the Berean Jews were more of, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Sorry, it must have been dummies in Thessalonians. Guess it must have been dummies in Thessalonica. The Berean Jews were more of noble character. And why? Because they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what, what Paul is saying was true. Don't find someone you agree with and then follow them blindly. The only way to tell if the preacher's lying is to check the message with all of Scripture. With all of Scripture. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from evil. 
Don't take my word for it. Go to your Bible. Find it. Test it with all other scripture. That's how to keep you. That's how that'll keep you from becoming dull. Just just going along with the flow. Secondly, check the fruit before you buy the tree. Let's say we went on a plum tree in our backyard. We lost a couple plum trees a couple years back. I'm like, I'm gonna go to Home Depot and I'm gonna get us a plum tree to replace those those plum trees that we lost. We didn't completely lose them. They're starting to come back now. I was actually plumped on them um, this this summer. But anyway, so if I, want to, if I want to buy a plum tree, I go to Home Depot and I read the tag and it says plum tree on it. I ask one of those guys in the bright orange, almost as bright as this, bright orange apron if this really is a plum tree. And they say, oh yeah, it's a plum tree. I throw it on that big obnoxious orange cart and I start wheeling it out along with the tornado that happens underneath it because the wheel's not always right. Roll it up to the register and as I'm standing at the register trying to pay, I look up into the tree and I see that there's a crab apple in the tree. Do you think that I would continue with the purchase, take it home, plant it in the ground, and tell Carol, we got ourselves a plum tree? Why? Because I looked at the tree and noticed that the tree didn't have plum fruit on it. It had crab apples. It'd probably be beautiful in the, in the fall. Spring, too. Oh, yeah, spring blossoms, yep. But it's not going to produce plums, is it? Test the fruit before you buy the tree. You don't, have to, you don't have to pick it off and eat it. Just check it out. I'm amazed at how many messed up people in this world become authorities in our lives. Think about it. This, this country has been revolutionized on multiple occasions by someone who is completely and totally deranged mentally. I'm not kidding you. This whole hippies, the sexual revolution, have you read any of Kinsley's stuff? Where that came from? Have you read any of his stuff? It's shocking. It's scary. It's unbelievable that we base our education system that stuff that Kinsley wrote is now in the public school system teaching our kids how to become sexually right with the world. Something's wrong with this picture. But why do we do it? Because someone thought that what he wrote was good and claimed it, and the whole United States is following along. Yikes. Not everyone. You can go into Mr. Bartlow's room and you're not going to hear Kinsley's stuff. Not every teacher does that. Because they have that little bit of liberty that they don't have to go back to those garbage roots. They can use God's roots to teach, sexu teach sexuality in the classroom. But I'm amazed at how many of us follow along with completely deranged and messed up people. Check the fruit before you buy the tree. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come designed as harmless, disguised rather as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. 
This is the reason why the Bible gives qualifications for the one desiring a position of elder or overseer. It's character that we're looking for. You have no right to lead spiritually if your life is messed up. I'm not talking about perfection. We're just talking about spiritual character. In every area of life, we can look at the fruit. Spiritually, values, moral values, culture, even politically. We can look at their fruit and then know what kind of person we're following. Check the fruit before you buy the tree. How do you know the truth? Number three, remember the majority can be dead wrong. The majority can be dead wrong. What happened to the Israelites? They got to the promised land right after running through the, the Red Sea. Dead Sea, Red Sea, Red Sea. Running through the Red Sea. What is the Red Sea? Goodness, I can't think. Running through the Red Sea, they get to the promised land, and they're getting ready to go in, and what do they do? Twelve men went just fine on Canaan. Ten were bad, and two were good. What's the majority? The ten. The ten knuckleheads went in there and say, oh, those guys are huge. We can't go in there. What the two say? Joshua and Caleb said what? We can do this. We can do this. God's on our side. We can do this. Who did the people go with? They went with the majority. And what happened? Forty years they had to wander in the wilderness. Everyone over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. Now do the math with me. Done this before. Over a million people came out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness. Over the age of 20, how many guests, guesstimate how many over the age of 20, I've done the math, 25,000 deaths a year, 68 funerals a day. <gasps> Yikes. That's a lot of people dying. Why? Because they went with the majority. Remember that majority can be dead wrong, sometimes <laughs> literally dead wrong. Once again, there's been several times in history when an individual writes a book, writes a paper, does something, and a vast majority has bought into those ideas. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't make it right. We're not looking for a poll. We're not looking for a poll, uh, a, a survey to be taken. We're looking for truth. Get this. Write this down. It's not in your notes. You can't expect to get truth about a perfect God by asking a flawed people can't do it. You've got to go to God's word. And number four, never confuse God's patience with his approval. Everything was going great in Micah's time. Everything was perfect. Everything we had, we had plenty of everything we needed. Micah said, be careful because oftentimes sudden destruction comes from a rot, a deadly rot that has been going on for a long time. Can you put that picture up of the tree again? I bet that tree looked beautiful. Ten days before it fell. It might be dead, but it's still a big, massive, beautiful tree. I bet you it looked great ten minutes before it fell. I would venture to say that it might have been making some noise, but I'll bet you it looked good ten seconds before it fell. doesn't mean it's okay. We can go on living in bliss of ignorance, but someday the tree will fall. We think God's approving. 
because he's not really doing much. He's not really coming in and saying, God, Lloyd, Lloyd, you can't do that. God's not saying, Lloyd, you can't, you can't really do that. You've got to do something different. He doesn't show up like that anymore. Don't take that as God approving. Take that as God is waiting. God's prolonging judgment so that we can get right with him. How do we become that right? We've got to get in the word. We've got to look into the word for his truth. Don't surround yourself with people who agree with you. Find someone that can challenge you. We aren't, we aren't looking for comfort. We're looking for truth. In Micah's day, they were looking for comfort. They were looking for preachers that would promise them wine and alcohol. That's the kind of preacher we want. We want good food. We want, we want prosperity. We want, we want God's promises. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We need the truth. And I'm not trying to, once again, I'm not trying to preach a doomsday. But I'm saying that we've become spiritually dull. We need to respond with the heart God wants us to respond with. Let's listen to what God says and respond to it. Let's start doing it on a daily basis. Let's start making decisions today that's going to make our lives better in the upcoming weeks. Let's follow His will rather than our own. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being our God, for taking such great care of us, by sending us prophets clear back in the Old Testament that we can learn from today. God, Michael was a brave soul who, who went against the tide of everyone else around him and preached, taught exactly what your word said. And he was laughed at, he was ridiculed, he was made fun of. But God, he did it, and we're so grateful that he did we thank you for the things that we can learn from him. God, help us to, to take those on personally, to make changes in our own lives. Not, not just come in here to hear what we want to hear and be affirmed in what we believe. But God, we want to be changed today. Change us and make us more like you. God, help us to obey the things that we know that you've told us so that that dimmer switch can be turned up a bit. So that we can see more light rather than allowing it to be turned down because we've ignored what you've said. Be the light. Pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen.